we're doing a prophecy update, and I just want to welcome those who are watching through video, watching live online right now, maybe through a social media page or through our websites. Also, those who perhaps listening on WLGS radio, we welcome you also to our Wednesday evening service. Thank you, Dave, for sharing the Christmas hymns with us. I was thinking before church, Dave, that maybe next Wednesday we'll just do Christmas carols. I mean, for an hour, do Christmas carols and maybe the whole band I'll play with you and we'll just worship. Um, All the stuff we've been working on for Sundays, we can just do it on Wednesday all at once. Put everything together. Anyways, it's coming up so quick, it's hard to believe that Christmas is almost upon us and we do want to celebrate our Savior's birth and celebrate his first coming. I'm so grateful for what he has done thus far, but there's more that he has for us in store. First coming should have us anticipating that the Lord promised that I will come again, and so to focus on the second coming as well. But tonight, we're going to have a prophecy update. I did not want to do this, which normally would be our third Wednesday, which would be next Wednesday. And I just didn't want to do a prophecy update right before Christmas. So we're doing it a week early. And also, we have uh, a lot happening. It's all tonight. Just going to look at this Respect for Marriage Act that was signed by President Biden yesterday, passed in the House, then in the Senate, and then yesterday, apparently with party time going on, they signed this bill at the House. And uh, we're going to look at marriage tonight, and I'm going to base it off of three passages of Scripture. Whenever I do a prophecy update, I just don't want to talk about world events. I want to look at the Bible, see what the Bible's saying. And uh, twice in the book of twice in the book of Proverbs, I get it out. Twice in the book of Proverbs, there is a repeated verse. It appears two different places. It says the very same thing. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And the signing of this bill reminded me that there is a way that it, it seems right to man, but it's leading down a path that will really bring us into a place that in wisdom people would prefer not to go, but people aren't thinking, and uh, they think that they can overrule God. And this morning I woke up, I don't even think I was out of bed yet, but I was going to bring the third point into a different area of Scripture And then as I was waking up, maybe the Lord just speaking to me saying, tell them what I said about marriage. So I don't know if he said it that way, but I woke up knowing that the third point was going to be Jesus talking about in the beginning, it was not so. And so he takes marriage all the way back to the beginning. We're going to look at that tonight. Also, I'm going to uh, three points and I broke... uh, maybe a page and a half in World Magazine from 2004. I read an article. I know that I ripped that article out, put it in my files, but once you file things, you may never find them again. And I didn't, but thankfully, the Internet is there. 
to do word searches and I was able to find it on the internet a few weeks ago. I mentioned it here on a Sunday morning. One of the brothers forward, forwarded me the article. I tried to search for it before, maybe a year ago or more, and I couldn't find it. And so I had the article from him, and I actually was able to find it easily on my own this time. So I have its source, but I know it came from World Magazine. And the name of that article was called The Nordic Track. And so I'm going to read the entire article to you. It's not that long, but I'm going to break it into three sections because I believe it is the track that our country is now on, has been on for quite a while, but just went a little deeper into it yesterday with the signing of that bill. So some in the church has dubbed this Respect for Marriage Act the Disrespect for Marriage Act because it allows marriage to go against God's design for marriage that was given to us before the fall. Now, in the Bible, we are told that we're not told this in the Bible. It has been observed that there are three institutions that have been given to us by God. That is the institution of marriage, the institution of government, and the institution of the church. So three institutions given to us by God. We're not going to look at the uh, institution of government that also found in the book of Genesis or the institution of the church found in the Gospels as Christ instituted the church for us. But the unique thing about the three is that the institution of marriage came before the fall of mankind. So this was while Adam and Eve were still in the garden. God set up the importance of a couple, a husband and a wife, man and woman, male and female, and also the importance of the family unit. That was something that was given to us by God before the fall and is expected of us to this day. And so... We're going to be looking at this as well, the uh, institution of marriage. In our third point, really looking at God's design for marriage, but also looking at uh, this article from World Magazine and other resources, some from our own government's website about this marriage act. We're going to talk about it tonight, and uh, I think our nation is heading down the wrong track, but... This is where we are at. I I believe Biden's signing of the Respect for Marriage Act will come at a high cost to our nation and to our children. So first, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 14, verses. I'm going to take it verses 1 through 14. So I'm going to get a little bit of teaching in here, summarizing what Solomon was writing about here in the book of Proverbs, not taking the whole chapter. And I'm only going to summarize this opening section, breaking it down for us of what was given to us in Scripture. But the key verse in this, as I said before, repeated twice in Proverbs, once in chapter 14, once in chapter 16. So for our first point, a way that seems right, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
So the danger when we get away from the truth of God's word and the guidance of God's word in our life and we begin to kind of make it up as we go. I was thinking as I was driving over here about relativism um, we're basically teaching that what's real for me may not necessarily be real for you. What's real for you may not necessarily be truth for me. And so everybody kind of making up truth on their own. That's where we're at. Our government is there. And sadly, we have many people in Washington today that uh, they're just like open up the floodgates of depravity and let that be our leadership, but no harm will come. We'll actually become a better nation for it. Well, that is not true. It actually will be leading to our nation's fall. And, uh, you know, I, I probably don't have a ton of time left on this earth. I was encouraged by uh, one of the couples, older couples here at our church on Sunday. Don't retire. Just keep working. Keep going. I wasn't planning on retiring um, but, you know, as long as the Lord gives me, I want to speak out on these things as long as I am able, because I am concerned about our next generation, and it's our responsibility to teach that next generation, and uh, really on my heart of how we can do that. So the Proverbs 14, a way that seems right, in verses 1 through 4, I'm just going to summarize some of this for you. Proverbs 14 begins by contrasting those who walk in wisdom and uprightness against those who are foolish and perverse. A wise woman, according to verse 1, builds up her house while a foolish one pulls it down by her own hands. In verse 2, we discover that an upright person fears the Lord while a perverse person despises him. In verse 3, it's by his own mouth a fool reveals his pride, but the wise are preserved by their lips or by wise words. Kind of thinking about what we say, how we conduct ourselves in verse 4. Life is more than just about words, though, whether spoken in wisdom or not. Life can get messy as reflected by Solomon's mention of the increase that comes by the strength of an ox. Wherever there is hardworking ox, there is also not only plenty of productivity, but there's also plenty of waste coming out. It gets messy. You might step in something. But that's how life is. When we get engaged, Proverbs 14.4, where no ox are, the trough is clean but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. And so although oxen are messy, smelly, they leave deposits that sometimes we might step in. Got to think of a cow or a horse. When we use them in labor and work, uh, there's product, productivity being done. And so when we get involved in these last days, Tonight, I am speaking out against the Respect for Marriage Act, and that could get messy. 
And right now they're saying that the church, and we'll get into that from reading from the what the government says about the passage of this law, that the church is excluded from this. But I can guarantee you that this has opened a door for uh, lawsuits to come. Right now, they're saying you're protected. Don't worry about that. And that's always been the case for the church. Don't worry, church, you're protected. But what about the whole of our society? We need to ask those questions. Five through nine, we find in verse five that a faithful witness versus a false one, a scoffer, scoffer who seeks wisdom, he cannot find it, versus a man of understanding who easily obtains the knowledge he seeks. Those of understanding, they know where to look. They know where to gain that knowledge. But those, the scoffer, the foolish one, he's looking, but he never gains the knowledge because he's truly not seeking. In verse 6 through 9, we kind of combine those together. We find one who departs from the fool. He is he who understands his path. He finds favor from the Lord. He who avoids deceitful folly of the fool, who makes a mockery of his sinful ways. That one who departs from the fool, he avoids the trouble that might come with them. He's one who understands. He has wisdom. He's going to find favor from the Lord. And life is about making choices. Whether we choose a path of righteousness or that of the wicked or foolish, we make those choices. We determine the path that we're going to be on. And it may not necessarily be easy. And we know that uh, as believers in Jesus Christ, God has gifted his church with the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in our decisions, to help us in our walk. But may we be those who choose to seek the favor of Jesus, knowing that those who refuse to make such a choice. They've already made that decision. We love to quote John 3:16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes. But John 3:18, we don't quote that one too much. It says, and he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It speaks about the condemnation even before someone necessarily in their mind makes their choice. If they do not choose to follow Jesus, they already stand in condemnation. That is a result of the fall. And so we have choices to make in this life, how we're going to walk. In verses 10 through 14, and we're going to just, I'm just going to mention 30 and 33 as well, because of the various contrasts that's found here in chapter 14, we find that the heart is referred to six times in verse 10, 13, 14, 30, and 33. I named five there. Maybe one of those verses has it mentioned twice. And technically, we know the heart is a muscle that, uh, by the miracle of God, continues to pump throughout all of our lives. And uh, heart failure is a, can be a very de- deadly thing, as we know. But scripturally, it often refers to the seat of emotion, uh, the inward person. And no one can truly know 
what is in the heart of another person. Speaking about that mixture of emotions that we can have, such as bitterness and joy in verse 10, or mirth and grief in verse 13. And it may be that our hearts would always be stayed upon the Lord in order that we would never know the way of a backsliding heart. So there is a way. Verse 12, Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So the Respect for Marriage Act, having been passed through the House and now through the Senate, signed into law yesterday by Biden. While it seems to be a great victory for the left, considering that it was it was not a legislation from the bench, This one has been codified into law. They perhaps have not truly considered the cost that this will have upon our nation, especially our children. So it's something that didn't come by legislating from the bench that implies a justice system that has judges who have a political agenda who create laws through legislation This one actually went through the process from the House to the Senate to the president's desk. So it's supposed to work in our country. It doesn't always work well because they don't always pass good laws. So one of those legislating from the bench was the Supreme Court's decision in 2015. Ogerfell versus Hodge decision is the law that brought same-sex marriage um, in our nation, deeming that barring state laws, barring same-sex marriages were unconstitutional. And at that point, gay marriage became recognized across all the United States. That was legislation from the bench. Now the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act, those who favor this bill believe that it was necessary to prevent a future Supreme Court ruling that could overturn the decision made in 2015, much like what happened with Roe versus Wade. So this is actually a consequence of the overturning of the abortion law. Now marriage has been sucked into that as well to codify the law, to make sure that it can't be overturned by another court So the signing of this bill will also give legislation rights allowing for the Department of Justice to bring a civil action and establishes a private right of action for violations. So at this point, God is no longer sought in the governance of our nation. And we kicked him out of our schools in the 1960s with prayer and the Bible being taken out of our classrooms. In the years following, God has been largely removed from our government institutions, which has caused God and Jesus to be removed from our public square. Just consider that Christ is no longer, uh, this time of year, Christ is no longer the focus of Christmas in our nation. Merry Christmas has largely been replaced by happy holidays. They have taken Christ out. They don't even like to use the word Christmas But as far as the church is concerned, many churches are complicit in our nation's slide away from morality. 
Such churches seem to be more concerned with filling the pews and their offertory plates than they do with being filled with the truth of God's word as well as God's Holy Spirit. And although some within our churches are holding true to their faith, the majority have so allowed their faith to be watered down that those of true faith seem too extreme for our society. Yet, among all that God has done for our humanity, He's created the world. He gave us life. He gives us the ability to think, to provide for ourselves and our families. And most importantly, He sent His only begotten Son to be the Savior of the world. The Bible teaches that He has given us, as I mentioned before, these three institutions, that of marriage or family, government and the church and now we see an outright attack against the institution of marriage so the article from 2004 that was in world magazine i read it once i don't remember any other article that i ever read from world magazine i used to get it i think it came out monthly at that time i used to get it all the time uh, until we have the Internet now, and you can just look up stuff that you want. You don't have to have the issues coming in. But this was by Jean Edward Venth. It was called The Nordic Track, and it was a cover story, and I'm going to read the first section of it. And this is the opening sentence. The state approval of homosexual marriage in Scandinavia contributed to the virtual disappearance of real marriage. Then the article goes on to state, no matter what happens in the homosexual marriage civil union controversies, marriage is an institution as an institution isn't going away. Is it? Question mark. Yes, it is. Marriage has already but all disappeared in Scandinavia. Other Europeans are heading down the Nordic track. And if gay marriage is legalized, so will we. That is the conclusion of Stanley Kurtz, a research fellow, a research fellow from the Hoover Institute, whose article, The End of Marriage in Scandinavia, was published in the Weekly Standard. Sweden was the first country in Europe to legalize homosexual unions in 1989, and Denmark and Norway soon followed thereafter. Today, a majority of children in those countries are born out of wedlock, although some older couples are getting married after having more than one child. Younger couples are dispensing with marriage altogether. Southern, Southern Seminary President Al Moeller, he's not the president now, but in 2004 he was, reports that in Sweden, the few young couples who do get married often do not like to admit it since they have, what they have done is so far out of the norm that they feel embarrassed. Couples just live together for a while. If the woman has a baby, the father, unlike here in the United States, will typically stay around until the baby reaches a certain age. Until recently, if they had a second child together, they would typically get married. But this has changed for our new generation. Once the children are grown up, the parents typically go their separate ways. So sadly, we see in the opening paragraphs of the 2004 article, The Nordic Track, 
They're becoming reality in our own nation. We, we know that much of what was written in that opening section of this article is already happening in our own country. Uh, marriage has declined. A lot of people just shack up. They live together and they cohabitate. They have children, but they do not worry about getting married. And I believe that the Respect for Marriage Act will only further our nation's slide away from marriage and sadly away from God. So Proverbs 16:25 is the next place where we find that verse 16:25 we're going to take it through uh, verses 16 through 26 pick up uh, in the middle of the chapter talk a little bit about what's going on in Proverbs. I always like to get the context when you're teaching through Proverbs that's so hard to do because, a proverbial saying could be one verse long and he might move on to another point. Sometimes the thought is cohesive and sometimes not in the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at a few of the verses before we get to verse 25. And just summarizing verses 16 through 20. So throughout the Proverbs, Solomon extols the importance of gaining wisdom and understanding. It's kind of one of the main themes that's found in the book of Proverbs for the father and the mother teaching their son as the book of Proverbs is set up for us in the opening uh, chapters. And the Hebrew word that's found in verse 16, I'll read that verse for you. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So that word get used twice in verse 16 can mean either to create or to acquire. And so to create or acquire, since we can't create wisdom, it's something that we must acquire and acquire these virtues in our life and that of wisdom and understanding that we can gain through learning, through knowledge. These virtues of being upright is able to depart, keep us from de- keep us from evil and to keep a, a hedge of thorns around us to preserve us. According to verse 17, preserve our souls. And it helps us to keep, keep those who gain this wisdom, gain this understanding from having proud and haughty spirits which could lead to someone's destruction or their fall, according to verse 18. And those who have gained wisdom and understanding of God will have the humility, this lowliness, while it keeps them from the spoils of the proud, from verse 17 or 19 and then 20. There's this obedience to the word where there is great happiness found. Verse 20, he who heeds the words wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. So one of the things I learned in, it's not a Calvary Chapel thing per se, but I learned it out when we lived in uh, Santa Ana, attending Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, while I was going to the School of Ministry, just keep the main thing the main thing and the main thing is Jesus Christ and so we have to keep our eyes on Christ at all times 
Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots and by the river, and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will not be green, will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Very much like Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, and that man who's planted firmly by the waters. So in verses 21 through 24, Solomon reference to the heart in verse 21 and 24 reminds us that our words are tied to our heart, our emotions, our uh, we can put our, our mind in there, our wisdom, our thoughts, the heart of the wise. Well, there is prudence which produces such sweetness from their lips that they increase in their learnings, verse 21. They gain understanding that becomes a wellspring or a fountain of life to them, verse 23. And verses 20, or verse 22, verses 23 and 24, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. So here in this section, verses 20 through 24, it's not really, it's not talking about those who are lacking understanding. It's not talking about the fools, uh, except there in verse 22, where it says the correction of the fool is folly. It's pretty much just talking about the advantages of gaining the knowledge of Lord of the Lord, having wisdom and understanding. And then verse 25, that verse 1625, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So for a second time in the Bible, second time in Proverbs, as we have seen in Proverbs 14 now, in 1625, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So it's worth memorizing this verse to remind ourselves of it. And you can have two different addresses for it in your scripture memorization. But that way that leads to death is really talking about separation from God. In verse 26, Solomon teaches us another truth that hunger drives a vast majority of people to work to provide for themselves, to take care of their family needs. And when man's way deviates from the way of the Lord, many may seek ungodly ways to produce their needed provision. So when our ways deviate from that of the Lord, we may find that um, we may seek ungodly ways for that provision. So back to the Respect for Marriage Act. Right, let me see. So this is coming... No trying to find my this coming from what I'm going to begin reading uh, is from Catherine Cook it was written back oh it was written back in March of 2009 legislating from the bench if my notes are correct here that can't be right 
All right, I'm a little lost finding my notes. I think I just put the wrong uh, address on this. While the Respect for Marriage Act excluded religious institutions, this is actually talking about the bill, not from Catherine Cook and what she wrote. The Respect for Marriage Act excludes religious institutions in that the bill is not to affect, number one, religious liberties or conscience protections that are available under the Constitution or federal law. Number two, require religious organizations. So it's not to require religious organizations to provide goods or services to formally recognize or celebrate a marriage. It remains, this is me, it remains to be seen if churches will not have to deal with lawsuits that will arise by the signing of this bill. The bill states, now this is coming, um, four things to know about the Respect for Marriage Act. This was written by Ryan Foley. So the bill states nonprofit religious organizations, including churches, mosques, synagogues, temples, non-denominational ministries, interdenominational and ecumenical organizations, mission organizations, faith-based social agencies, religious education institutions, nonprofit entities whose principal purpose is the study, practice, advance of religion, and any employee of such organization shall not be required to provide services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, privileges for the uh, celebration of marriage, any refusal under this subsection to provide such services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, privileges shall not create any civil claim or cause of action. By contrast, those who are not covered by the language outlined in Section 6 could find themselves subject to a civil action in the appropriate United States District Court if they deny a right or claim arising from same-sex marriage. So all those Christians, business owners that we've seen come under attack over the last several years, bakeries, uh, pizza parlor, it was in Indiana that was a pizza parlor, uh, photographers, uh, photographers, I should say, or wedding services, just to name a few of those. They'll no longer have any legal right to hold personal faith ethics under the law. And for example... The conservative Christian nonprofit legal organization Liberty Council said in a statement Wednesday, this is November 16th, 2022, that this bill will not protect the religious belief of people like a Christian website designer with 303 Creative. And so that's 303 Creative was the website. Their case actually was before the Supreme Court because the web designer, Lori Smith, Lauren Smith, a Christian, um, said that she was discriminated against in Colorado law, requiring her to create a website for same-sex weddings should she offer a website for wedding services. And that was heard at the Supreme Court on December 5th. And the Respect for Marriage Act now will overturn any victory in that case and she'll be forced to create websites celebrating same-sex marriage, Liberty Council warrants. 
So any victory that could have been gained just this month now will be erased for those individual Christian business owners. Franklin Graham on his Facebook post, November 26, I'm going back a month because I was looking for current things being said about the bill, but I think we're so current that not a lot of people are speaking about it yet, or maybe they're thinking about how they want to word their response. So a month ago, Franklin Graham said on his Facebook page, the current version of the Respect for Marriage Act being pushed by Senator Chuck Schumer is designed to provide strong protections for same-sex marriage, but it fails to protect those of us who believe marriage is between a man and a woman. It is dangerous legislation that would be used against individuals, churches, and organizations who honor traditional marriage. Thankfully, Senator Mike Lee have now proposed, proposed an important amendment that can be improved. The Respect for Marriage Act, the Lee Amendment, if approved, can bring critical needed protection for religious liberty and rights of conscience to the pending legislation. So there was that protection clause put in. I don't know if it was Mike Lee's clause or it was verified or um, adjusted, but there was a protection. But we looked at that. It protects the church organizations like Love in the Name of Christ, Christian organizations, but individuals, they will not be protected under this law. So while the two above statements were written in November, the bill being signed into law now, we'll begin to see the true impact of the bill. I've learned in observing government things in my lifetime, and my lifetime has gotten a little longer, as the Lord allows me to keep living on this earth, that Quite often, they may say one thing before a bill is passed and something entirely different will come out of it once it's passed. Kind of like you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. That was proved not to be true um, during the passing of Obamacare that things were spoken then that did not happen. And we know that once the law is passed, then we actually see exactly what comes of these laws. So we look at the Nordic Track article, pick up a second part of the article. What role has gay marriage played in the disappearance of marriage in Scandinavia? Scandinavian gay marriage has driven home the message that marriage itself is outdated, says Mr. Cruz. Kurtz, not Cruz, Kurtz. And that virtually any family form, including out-of-wedlock parenthood, is acceptable. So any family will do, any type of family will do. More direct cause of Mr. Kurtz sites include that Scandinavian welfare state, which means that the family unit is no longer necessary for economic support, Plus, to support that welfare state, taxes are so high that both parents have to work. A vast state daycare system has taken over many of the child care duties that were once the job of families. Also, the universities are even more radical than they are in the United States with socialists, feminists, and other social revolutionaries, including those who denounce marriage as being intrinsically oppressive, having a huge influence on public policy. 
homosexual marriage has contributed to the dissolution of marriage as a significant institution in Scandinavian culture, primarily by contributing to the notion that marriage need have nothing to do with having children. So the Nordic track example, we see another side of the Respect for Marriage Act. It will contribute to the eroding of the family unit. Like in Scandinavia, countries or government would like to enact Child care for all. In fact, this is a policy uh, signed into law April 28, 2021. President Joe Biden released his America Families Plan, proposing that the U.S. provide universal preschool to ensure no household spend more than 7% of its income on child care. In the plan, set to cost $1.8 trillion over the next 10 years, Biden proposes creating a partnership with states to provide free, high-quality, accessible, and inclusive preschool for all three- and four-year-olds. According to the statement from the White House, the administration is calling on Congress to spend the amount of $200 billion to implement the program but estimates the universal preschool benefits would benefit about 5 million children and save the average family about 13000 in lifetime cost. Now, here's another thing that is a problem with this universal um, child care that's going to come out of this. And we're in the same place. We have uh, radical colleges uh, in our country where there's socialists, feminists, revolutionaries there, just like in the Scandinavian countries back in 2004. That's all here now. We see it here now. But also the uh, child care of the government-funded child care. There's a couple of things. First, once fully enacted, the American Family Plan will get the middle class to get used to government assistance, to get the middle class used to government assistance. And so I kind of grew up where, and Lily and I had to grow up really quick getting married at 18 years old, but uh, grew up, we got to go to work, we got to provide for ourselves, we got to provide for our family, got to take care of things, not look to the government, not look, not look to our parents to help us out, although they may have helped us out a few times in our lifetime. We never looked to them. Um, we were responsible for our household. But what one of the plans of this new world order is to get people used to government payouts, much like the COVID relief plan, got people used to getting that government check every week. They could stay home, remodel their houses, not have to worry about going to work. And some people never return to work. I don't know what they're living on now, but... Uh, it was getting people who are accustomed to having a 40-hour-a-week uh, job to not be accustomed to doing that anymore. And there's a danger in that. There's a loss of self-worth that can be a tie, tied to that as well. But second, it gets our children out of the homes and into government schools two years sooner. They want preschool for three- and four-year-olds, so kindergarten isn't good enough. It's not good enough to have our kids for 13 years through high school, but now we want to have them for 15 years. 
And this will give parents less time to instill their faith, their ethics into their children and more time for the government to train up our children. Lenin, founding head of the government of the Soviet Russia and then Soviet Union, served from 1917 to 1924. Two things that he said that really are at play. Just give me one generation of youth and I'll transform the whole world. Give me four years to teach the children and the seed that I have sown will never be uprooted. And we're in that danger zone right now in our nation. The Bible, though, tells us, Proverbs 22, 6, train up the child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart of it, depart from it. So the Bible, the training of children is the parents' responsibility, not the government's. But this is all kind of meshing together as they're working out a different United States and really working toward a one world government ultimately. So let's go over to Matthew 19. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9 to close out the teaching portion and just a few more things to be said about this Respect for Marriage Act. Matthew 19, picking up in verse 3. So this passage from Matthew's gospel is, it's really teaching about marriage and divorce. And we're not touching on the subject of divorce. But in Jesus' response to the question about marriage and divorce, he gives God's original intent for marriage to be between one man and one woman. And so that's why we're here, picking up in verse 3, Matthew 19, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife just for any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So attempting to test Jesus, the Pharisees, really talking about divorce here, ask this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And they were really wanting to incriminate Jesus by getting him to speak against the Mosaic law. There in the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy 24:1, we read, When a man takes a wife and he marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, that and they said marriage, Moses allowed divorce, for marriage, Jesus would later say, Moses did this because of the hardness of your hearts. But what they were really zeroing in on this was, what did Moses mean? This was the argument of their day. Some uncleanness found in her. There were basically two school of thoughts. Rabbi Hillel taught that some uncleanness pretty much meant that Divorce could be for any reason, whatever the uncleanness might be deemed. But Rabbi Shammai strictly interpreted these words, meaning moral 
morally indecent, so like discovering that you married your wife, you got married, you discovered your wife was not a virgin, or that she had committed adultery once you were married, these would constitute the breaking of the marriage vow. However, rather than getting sucked into this whole debate, Jesus took them back to the beginning. When God gave the institution of marriage, he quoted from Genesis 1, 27 and Genesis 2, 24. First, Jesus said, and this is applicable to our society today. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in talking about marriage, Jesus first talked about the two um, identities that we have. You're either born male or female. And uh, a couple of years ago, I looked up the whole transgender, gay, homosexual lifestyle, looking up all those different uh, possibilities. And one website out of New York saying that there's 112 distinct different genders, 112. Well, the Bible, Jesus reminds us there's only two. We know that, but the world is trying to Again, break down the family unit, break down structure that's been given to us by God. And then he takes us to Genesis 2:24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. So to be joined, it means to cling to in the Hebrew or to stay close to, to cleave, as translated in the old King James to keep close. It really speaks about uh, the importance of a husband and wife clinging to one another. But here we live in a time where husbands and wives are no longer clinging, leaving and cleaving. They're no longer um, male and female, but could be female and female or male and male. And this becoming one flesh Therefore, what God has joined, he said, let not man separate. So this is what the law taught. The one exception, verses 7 through 9, Jesus said, they asked, why then did Moses command the certificate of divorce to put her away? He said, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery, Whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now this is how God set things up to be. Now it doesn't mean that someone who's caught into a bad marriage necessarily they have to divorce, they have to separate. God can cleanse, God can heal any one of us. But today in this age in which we live, there is still a hardness of heart that makes it impossible for some couples to remain together. They cannot rise. These are the words of Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. They cannot rise or will not rise to God's divine ideal. It is a mutual thing. You have to do it together. And if you're an innocent party and your wife says, I'm through, 
I don't want anything more to do with you. She's interested in someone else. You're an innocent victim. And the same is true the other way around. And if your wife and your husband is taken off, not interested anymore, developed another relationship, then you are free from the bond that once existed because that no longer exists because of the new relationship. So talking about the hardness of heart, marriage and divorce. But I want to get us back to the ending of the Nordic track. I think he says some more important things that we should listen to. This Remember this article written back in 2004. Most instructive for Americans is what happened in Norway. Traditionally, most conservative of the Scandinavian states, Sweden and Denmark have always been far more liberal. And in those nations, the public wanted gay marriage. In Norway, though, the general public had gay marriage uh, foisted upon them from above by elite judges and lawmakers. The state Lutheran church opposed not only gay marriage, but the growing trend of cohabitation and having children out of wedlock. The church also fought an eternal battle over the ordination of those in homosexual unions. The media covered the church's debates over these issues, taking every opportunity to attack and ridicule Christian teachings about sexuality and marriage. As a result, the church's traditionally strong influence on Norwegian society declined. When the dust settled, the liberal pro-gay cohabitation theologians who were once a minority took over the leadership of the church. Another important finding about the Scandinavian experience with what Mr. Kurtz described is de facto gay marriage actually, they are civil unions, is how few homosexual, homosexuals actually entered into them. A study published by Yale's William Eskridge in 2000 showed that after nine years, only 2,372 homosexual couples took advantage of the Danish law allowing gay unions after four years, only 749 gay Swedens and only 674 gay Norwegians bothered to get married. Today's gay activists in Scandinavia have gotten everything they wanted, now admit that their case for homosexual marriage, particularly that allowing gays to marry will encourage a monogamous lifestyle was only a tactical argument. The goal, says Mr. Kurtz, citing two prominent gay thinkers, was not marriage, but social approval of homosexuality. They achieved that goal, and now there is little social approval for marriage. So the Respect for Marriage Act House Agreement to Senate amendments, this from December 8th. This bill provides statutory authority for same-sex and interracial marriages. So if you've been paying attention to that, they pulled in the interracial marriages into this right after Roe versus Wade decision was overturned, saying that if they can overturn Roe versus Wade after 50 years, maybe they can also overturn uh, 
a white woman and a black man getting married or vice versa, or like in my situation, uh, a boy from Illinois marrying a girl from Mexico, that maybe they could overturn that and say that we can't be married. So the bill replaces provisions that defined for purposes of federal law, marriage as between a man and a woman and spouse as a person of any opposite sex with provisions that recognize any marriage between two individuals that is valid under state law. So it overturns marriage being between a man and a woman to any marriage of two individuals. The bill also replaces provisions that do not require states to recognize same-sex marriages from other states with provisions that prohibit the denial of full faith and credit of any right or claim relating to out-of-state marriages on the basis of sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin. And that was playing off a couple of Supreme Court rulings as well. The bill allows the Department of Justice to bring civil action and the establish of a private right of action for violations. The bill does not, we read these first two earlier, does not affect religious liberties or conscious protections that are available under the Constitution or federal law, does not require religious organizations to provide good and services to formally recognize and celebrate Marriages, two more points on that, does not affect any benefits or rights that do not arise from marriage or recognize under federal law any marriage between more than two individuals. But I tell you what, they got this. The more than two is next on the plate. They want to have more than two, and some are already doing this. So turning... Tony Perkins of Family Resource Council made a statement on this. This was from uh, December 13th. I'm going to get the right date on that. President Joe Biden today signed the so-called Respect for Marriage Act into law. The law will will now accelerate and intensify the already existing attack on religious liberty by creating a private right of action, legislatively cement anti-family policies harmful to children, make faith-based adoption and foster care agency a greater target for litigation, curtailing and ending their ability to help children find homes, threaten the tax-exempt status of adoption and foster care agencies and other nonprofit organizations, religious organizations, tactically vilify millions of Americans who believe in natural marriage by labeling them as sex discrimination. Family Research Council President Tony Perkins released this following statement today, is a dark day for religious freedom. President Biden now unleashed one of the greatest assaults on religious freedom in modern history. Now, time will tell what the true impact of this law will be. Will this law open up our nation, especially our children, our teens, to more sexualization? Will 10 years show less people getting married or whether straight, gay, trans, or whatever they might come up with? What impact will this bill have on our churches, our religious institution, 
Only time will tell. But if we look at the Scandinavian countries of Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, it seems that our country is now heading way down that Nordic track. I believe going down the wrong track. Father, I just pray for our country, Lord. Uh, just looking at current events going on in our nation today, that, Lord, really it goes against your very teaching of your word. Our country's in trouble. And many, Lord, who causing the trouble believe that they're trying to fix things. But really, Lord, they're destroying time-valued institutions, the institution of marriage and family, which, Lord, was ordained by you even before the fall. So help us, Lord, to navigate these days. Help us, Lord, to be watchful for our children, our grandchildren. Help us, Lord, to be witnesses and to live your truth before others. And help us, Lord, to speak truth in love, not to angrily get into debates. The Lord, try to win hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit through the teaching of your word, I pray, Lord, your church would find revival. Help us, Lord, we pray. I believe these days are getting worse. But, Lord, you told us when we see such days, we are to look up, lift up our heads, because our redemption is drawing near. And we look to your coming, Lord. We look to celebrate your first coming, but ultimately, Lord, we're looking for your second coming. And so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this coming Sunday, going to be looking at Mary and Joseph. Uh, just want to address them and really thinking in my head. And I haven't put this message together yet for Sunday. I'll work on that tomorrow. But in my head, really thinking about how Mary and Joseph kept themselves available to God to be used by him. And God did surely use them in a great and mighty way. Very unique couple in all of the world to Mary giving birth to God's only son, Joseph being the stepdad to the Savior of the world. But we want to look at the lives of Mary and Joseph this coming Sunday. And let's go ahead and stand. Thank you so much for listening. If you're on the radio or through social media, through our website, we appreciate our listeners. This uh, Just yesterday, I got a small note from one of our radio listeners from in town. And to be honest with you, I saw it as a widow's might. Uh, the gift was not a check. It was a single bill, and it wasn't a large bill. But I believe, to me, as soon as I saw it, I read the words that this is someone who is older and just saying that your station blesses me. And uh, I was blessed by receiving that. So thank you so much for our radio listeners, for those who provide for this fellowship through our radio ministry. And uh, we pray. God's blessing be upon you this Christmas season. And remember, it's still, it's still okay to say Merry Christmas. God bless you guys.